Let us ask the Lord to bring his blessings to the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving that you have called us into your presence. We rejoice in your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. We ask now that your holy word, sharp as a two-edged sword, cut us up, rearrange us, and conform us to your son Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our uh, study in the book of Colossians. We're going to pick up with Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Let us hear God's word. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we live in a hierarchical world. That is, there are leaders or chiefs, and there are followers or Indians. By this, we, can, we, we certainly see this when we look at a playground, right? If you put a bunch of kids out on the playground, give them just a little bit of time and a hierarchy is going to form, right? You're going to have some kids that are, quote, popular, so people are going to want to follow them. You're going to have some kids who are going to be good at dodgeball, and they're going to be the captains, and they're going to choose and pick people. They're going to be some people who are going to look around and say, man, I'm not as good as them, I'll, I'll just fall in line. And we say, well, there are good things about that and there are bad things about that. But the hierarchical world is the creational order of things. Now, like all things, it can be corrupted. In creation, we see that the sun, moon, and stars are put in the heavens to rule time. They are for signs and seasons. We see that in Genesis 1, 14 through 18. We see that Adam is created first and given responsibilities for Eve, Genesis 1 and 2. And we see this also spoken of in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We know that God's providence moves through time and that He has established all authorities, Romans 13. Let us hear Romans 13.1. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. People of God, we need to take all authorities over us seriously. Because Romans 13, 2 says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. If we have authority, we are to take those responsibilities serious as well. Historically, on the large scale of nations, in societies in the nations, and in individual families, The core problems come from not remembering that Jesus alone sits at the right hand of the Father and all authorities, whether they behave like it or not, are subject to Jesus Christ. All abuses of peoples and individuals come from this single sin. That is to say, not living under the lordship of our King Jesus. It is the sin of believing that I can respond and behave towards others any way that I see fit. It is declaring that I am not subject to God's judgment when I respond to the authorities that God has set before me. Of course, these attitudes should not be. Everyone in this room, children, everyone in this room is subject to to authorities and subject to the responsibilities of authority for others. We are first to rule ourselves and then for those whom the Lord gives us responsibility for. And of course, we see this pretty clearly in some cases, right? We know the governor is over others. We know that fathers and mothers are over children. Right? Children, do you know that you have responsibilities towards your younger brothers or sisters? You are teaching them how to follow Christ by your behaviors. Some are spoken clearly, others are simply by being a faithful Christian. So we first must rule ourselves and, th- and then also look at how we rule those whom the Lord gives us responsibility for. Now, I want us to remember that when Paul is writing these things, he's not picking out a few people here or there. He is speaking to all of the people in the church in Colossae. All of them. Men, women, children, regardless of position, he is speaking these truths. And what does he tell them? He says that Jesus Christ is Lord and the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus is fully God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. All authority emanates from Him. We also see that God circumcises the heart, and that in baptism we are incorporated into God's people and the beneficiary of God's covenant promises. We remember from previous passages that we are to keep our eyes open because Satan beguiles us. He attempts to deceive us through clever arguments which appeal to our selfish, sinful nature. And Satan uses people to cheat us through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men. And of course, some of these traditions are there simply because they make us feel good. 
If we have a place of authority, whether we're a boss, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, wherever we are in, in the world, we have these places where we think, oh, I have this position. Therefore, no matter what I do or how I behave, those that are under me must obey me. They must do what I say and take what I dish out no matter how I act. This is part of being cheated. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Now we also know previously in in Colossians we're reminded that Christ nailed all the true accusations of our sin to the cross. You cannot be delivered from your sins in any other way than the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. We all deserve to be on the cross dying for our sins. And Jesus stepped in, in our place, and died for our sins. We were guilty, and He died in our place. And the Father was faithful and resurrected Him and drew Him by the ascension to His right hand. So, again, and and the reason I'm going over this is because you can't just come in and look at these instructions about leadership, about husbands and wives and children and fathers and slave owners and slaves, which we'll get to, but can translate also into being in business and having employees, all of these things. You can't look at that passage all by itself. Out of context, it seems roughshod and you're just running over people. But if we remember that King Jesus is on the throne, if we remember that we too are forgiven by God, it changes and should change the way we treat people. We remember the debt that we could not pay. We must remember that in Colossians 3.1 it says, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We have to remember that all our authority comes from Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. And all those authorities over us come from Jesus Christ. And because He is at the right hand of the Father. And because we are raised with Christ, we have been given a new heart by the Spirit, and we are able to put on Christ. This is what we talked about last week, putting on Christ. Colossians 3.12 tells us this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, we are to put on what? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And then he says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So before we get in a place to discuss authority and submission, we need to remember these things. Christ is on the throne. He's the one that gave us a new heart. We are to put on Christ And here are the list of things that it means to put on Christ and live. And then we can talk about authority and submission. The Christian life is not a life that is lived out simply in some sort of ethereal, spiritual world way out there. No, it is lived in our daily lives. 
God does not give us a new heart so that we can simply change the inside thoughts and we'll eventually go to a spiritual and eternal heaven. We do go to heaven because of God's mercy, but he's called us to live here in the world, which means interacting with other people. As a new creature in Christ, Christ brings forth fruit in our actions towards other people in our lives. Christ brings transformation to every single type of relationship in our lives. The sequence in our passage today suggests that our new actions and practices begin in our households. As one commentator put it, Christ's lordship finds conclusive expression in the day-by-day routines and experiences of life. Colossians 3.17, the lead-in, really, to our text today, and whatever you do, so before again, he says, here you go, authorities and uh, having authority and, and submitting, he says, and whatever you do, In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And yet, nothing is more difficult than living in a family where the virtues of compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and professions of love are tested daily. Because the problem is what? People. There are two problems with people. We know that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but the hardest neighbors for us to live out love with are those who are in our own household. They bump us and expose our selfish natures. We look at our parents, spouses, children, and we say, where is their gratefulness towards me? Why don't they listen and respond to me as they ought? Especially because of my position. We need to be concerned about authorities and tyrants. You know, if we consider the fact our brother here, coming from Ukraine, being under Soviet rule a good portion of his life, we would say, yes, Brother Sansanich, he has lived under real tyrants. We've even expressed, I think, in our country in the last several years that we've been under some tyrannical rule. Some of that is true. But we too can fall quickly in our own households into being tyrants. We also easily forget verse 13 that says, If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also... You must do. We are to put on the bond of love, verse 14, and we are to remember that all in our household, all in your household, are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I know in some cases some of you might be in situations where part of your family might not be saved. They may not be following Christ. But when Paul is writing this letter, he is speaking to the saints, to the households of God, So as far as what you're hearing today, this declaration is to all of you, the saints of God. 
So everyone in your household are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We in this room are the covenant body in Christ. Every man, woman, and child in here. We are thankful. We are to be thankful and to encourage and correct one another. And how are we to do this? Listen now. We're to be thankful and encourage and correct by doing what? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, that doesn't seem like you know, and this is all the lead-in from the last passage that, that we studied last week. You know, singing is a joyful thing. Now, you can sing a dirge, and you can sing a sad song, and all of that. But generally speaking, singing is a joyful act. It's a unifying act. It used to be that when my family, we would travel to church, or we would go somewhere, if, all, if there was all this bickering in the car, I'd say, okay, stop, we're going to start singing together. We would sing psalms in the car. The peace that it brings, the unifying effect that it brings, the joy that it brings, it changes and transforms us. So we are to do these things in singing with joy and thanksgiving. We should remember the great debt of sin that we could not pay and in humble gratitude and joy because we are clothed with Christ. We live in God's way, speaking and treating others around us, particularly in our households, with love and kindness. When we do not live under and according to the authority of King Jesus, we simply become tyrants to those who are subject to us. And this way of living brings judgment to us and our household. We saw that in Romans 13. So, for husbands and wives, our passage starts out, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All alone, this verse, to our modern ears, can easily offend our sensibilities. First, this verse does not say that all women must submit to all men, but simply towards their own husbands. Second, if we again isolate this verse, it seems a simple justification for the wife to merely be a slave in bondage to their husband's every whim. But we need to remember this. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 says this, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. The husband is under Christ's authority. The husband's authority flows from Christ. Not as a tyrant, but as Christ is, one who lays down his life for the bride of his, his church. The crown that Christ wears, and therefore the crown that we wear, should not be one of gold, but should be one of thorns leading to self-sacrifice. Wives, in recognition of God's providence provided in your husband, it is fitting to submit to your husband. One last note to all here that are husbands. Being in submission to Christ, we must realize that Christ's representatives here on earth are the elders of the local church. Accountability and appeals for unrepentant sinful behaviors should be made to God in prayer 
and to the elders of the local church. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter to them. Husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Husbands, we are to give up our lives for the benefit of our wife. Ephesians 5. In Christ, we are not to be bitter towards our wife. This word bitter in the Greek means to produce a bitterness. To render our wives angry. To grieve them. Men, what are your plans towards your wife? Let us consider what God has said in his, to his covenant bride in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says Yahweh, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We should want our wives to live in a belief that our thoughts toward them are, as one, are ones of peace and not evil, that we are in prayer and with our actions. We are to provide them a future and a hope because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. I think this is an important measure on both sides. Men, you should behave in this way. And women, your first expression of submission is to believe that. And when failures happen in both the husbands and their leadership and wives in submission, we should be quick to confess our sin, forgive the sin as Christ has forgiven us, and be restored and continue to walk in faithfulness, which always means having to have a repentant heart. Children, look up here, children. This passage was written specifically for you. Are you listening? Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, you are to obey your parents. Because it pleases God. Children, you should obey quickly with joy and thankfulness. You know, your parents, they love you. They care for you. They have your best in mind. They, too, have thoughts towards you. Thoughts of peace and not evil. And they want to give you a future and one with hope. So when they speak to you, Obey them with joyfulness and thankfulness. God, children, has given you a new life and heart in Jesus. You've been baptized, and you are His covenant child. You are to thank God by obeying your parents. And children, are you listening? God rewards obedient children. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, sometimes young people, younger children, it's hard for us to believe the, what, what the reward is. God loves you. He cares for you. He's directing your life. Trust God that he will reward you for your obedience. One day in your 20s, you'll start looking behind you and you'll say, Man, I was so thankful that my mother and my father, they spoke to me and they taught me these things. Fathers, we are to guard our reactions to our children so that we do not stir up our children into discouragement. That is, are we stimulating 
in our children by our anger and impatience to be disheartened, to have a broken spirit? Do we have expectations of our children to which they will fail? Do we remember their age, maturity of understanding, or simply their physical frames? Psalm 103.14 tells us this, For he, this is God, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Are we living and speaking in the same ways that God treats us and remembers our frame? Are we dealing with our children with tender mercies? Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Are we bearing with them? We should see that we don't set them up to sin by keeping them out too late or by keeping them from getting sleep or by keeping them too long between eating. All of those things, particularly with small children, but frankly with us as adults, this impacts us too. Right? When you control, when you have the ability, now I understand, providentially God sometimes puts things in your life, things you didn't plan for. In those ways, submit yourself to God. Thank God. Resettle yourself. Work back towards the liturgy of your daily life. But don't put your children in a place to get discouraged and for you to be getting all over them because you didn't plan or you didn't hold to the schedule. And this is a challenge. And, and men, let me say this. Sometimes we do this. We come in, like we left for work, and we knew that our wives had a plan, and we show back up at the end of the day, and we knew what was on the plan paper. We're like, well, what happened here? All right, some of it is reality of rearing kids. It's very fluid. You have to have a schedule. You have to have a plan. You need to be working through. We need to be patient with our wives. We need to be seeing what we can do to help them. Even though we're tired and we've worked all day, what is it that our wives need to help to minister and disciple our children? This is important. We should remember the frame of our wives. We should remember the frame of our children. And please, both parents, listen carefully. Not every child develops exactly the same. What one child does at a certain age, another one may not. What one child may have gifts to, another one may not. Teach them the Word of God. Teach them self-discipline. Help them to do their work and their lessons. Let God cause the fruit and the gifts in their lives to grow and flourish. But don't have the same expectation of talent, skill, and maturity for all your children all in the same category and group all the time. Behaviors, yes. Following Christ, yes. Loving one another, yes. Caring for your brothers and sisters, absolutely. Obeying your parents, absolutely. But be mindful. We can fall into situations where we are exasperating our children because we are not being wise and remembering their frame. Frankly, moms, dads, you have to be students of your children. Husbands, wives, you have to be students of one another. 
We need fathers to certainly teach, discipline, and restore our children to fellowship. But let us make sure that it is not about our convenience or our comfort. Instead, let us remember their baptism and that your children are your brothers and sisters in Christ to whom you have been given the task to disciple. Masters and slaves. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Before we take this passage apart a little more, I want to say something to you. Have you noticed that in all of these, there's a pattern? There is the one who is under submission is spoken to first, and then the one with authority is spoken to afterwards. This has an application to every one of us, right? We have, we have a tendency to look at the people above us, the authorities that God has put in our lives, and we have a bad attitude and a sinful heart and sinful actions and sinful speaking against the authorities God has placed in our life. Part of this pattern here, folks, is for every one of us to recognize, evaluate your heart. How am I submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ? How am I submitting to the authorities that God gave me? And then I turn and look at to whom those that God has put me over. <coughs> Excuse me. As we <coughs> consider the challenges and thinking about masters and slaves, we remember that even though in the ancient world there were all these masters and slaves, we see in Galatians 3, Paul tells us this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And then he gives this list of how there's no more distinctions. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, it can be difficult for us, especially in our modern thinking, to see how God has provision in Scripture for slavery by instructions for slaves and masters. There certainly are applications for us in our day, but we should consider the original application in the passage first. At the time of the writing of the epistle to the church in Colossae, slavery existed throughout the whole of the world, not just the Roman Empire, but also all of the other places around the world. This hierarchy was a reality. As God established His people and His church, there would inevitably be both slaves and masters. Paul, when writing this, certainly had the slave's freedom in mind. We can see and understand this when we look at his letter to Philemon, that Paul sends a runaway slave, Onesimus, back to his master. Philemon, 
to make right whatever unprofitable things that Onesimus had done to Philemon. Onesimus had become a Christian, and it seems after, it seems like he became a Christian after he fled from Philemon. And after his salvation, it seems, too, that he also became a disciple of Paul and began to help Paul in the ministry. As Paul gets to know him better, he recognizes that Onesimus has sinned, not just in running away, but in some other fashion, against Philemon. So Onesimus, he says, brother, I know that that Philemon's a brother. For simple sake, we'll say perhaps he stole something. And he said, you need to go back and address that sin. And what Paul does, Paul says to Philemon, receive him as a brother, and then what does he say when you read through the book? That whatever Onesimus owes you, put it on my tab. You know, a lot of times, if if God took someone in your life, particularly if you were lost, you didn't know Christ at all, Right? And God used a particular person to lead you to Christ. And then that person discipled you, right? You, you feel a great debt of gratitude to them, am I right? For those of you that, that, that didn't grow up in a Christian family and God intervened in your life, you have, you have a lot of gratitude towards that person. Paul says to Philemon, hey, the Lord used me to lead you to Christ. I discipled you. I helped establish the church where you're at. Brother, w- whatever he's done... Don't let this be a, a, a way to divide you. Receive him as a brother in Christ. And I want you to put what he owes, because clearly Onesimus, it's not like he, he could pay it back. I want you to remember how God used me in your life, how Christ has saved you. And in that way, I want you to put what he, he owes you in my debt. The Bible teaches us that we are not to excuse sin because we find ourselves in difficult situations where others may be sinning against us. Philemon is not to treat Onesimus in any other way than as his Christian brother. It is quite possible, by the way, that this Onesimus that is spoken of here is the same Onesimus who became the bishop of Ephesus just a few decades later. So from slave to brother to minister of the gospel did Onesimus go. Wherever Christ and his church goes, slavery ends. Although, because of our sinfulness, many times it takes way too long. So the points that Paul makes here to the Colossians are, as he speaks to to slaves and masters. To the slaves, do your work, not just when your master is looking, but do your work for that master in a way that pleases God, for he sees. Proverbs 5.21 says this, For the ways of man are before the eyes of Yahweh, and he ponders all his paths. So, as if you are in a difficult circumstance, you can't just decide, well, I've got this person who's got me in a bad spot, and I'm trapped, and I can't get away from it, so I'm going to do them harm. I'm not going to do my duty. No, God says, do your duty. 
Do it well because you are working for me. To what end? Because Matthew 5.16 tells us, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. And do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. You know, it's easy for us to like the verses that tell us that there are no distinctions of people. And because of that, there's no distinctions in the kinds of people that God delivers from their sin. But we also must embrace that there is also no partiality in God's view of our sin. Romans 2.6 tells us that God will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Finally, we see that masters are to be just, fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We are to be just, that is, right and righteous, and doing the things that are truly suitable for the situation. We are to pay just wages. We are to pay when we say we're going to pay. We are to treat people with justice. We are to also treat people with fairness. Now, in general, I don't like the modern use of how we use that. But in God's word, the word fair means equity, which is an impartial distribution of justice. That's what we should care about. All these commands counter the attitudes in our lives, whether we're talking about being a boss in a job, being a worker in a job, being a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, a father. All of these commands counter attitudes that create strife and alienation in relationships. The insubordination of wives, the bitterness of husbands, which leads to mistreatment, the disobedience of children, and the harsh discipline of parents. The malingering and laziness and hypocritical waves of slaves and the cruel injustice of masters. The principles underlying these instructions, submission, love, service, obedience, conscientious work, and equity, and justice transcends all cultures and all times. We who are in Christ are the baptized body, and we are to live in joyful gratitude because Christ brings the transformation to all of our relationships. When we live in this way, God is glorified, and the gospel is proclaimed in our households, in this church, in our communities, and to the very ends of the earth, to all nations. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we come before you, 
recognizing that we are all instructed by your word. We recognize that we have all failed. Father, forgive us by your spirit. Help us to be clothed with Christ that we may love and be filled with gratitude and kindness towards one another because you have forgiven us. Strengthen and bless us this day. For Jesus' sake, amen.